Hello and welcome to the Japan Casting Podcast. It is hosted by Praveen Sharma in India with the expert and resource person Steve McCarty in Japan. At Matsuyama Shinonome College in southwestern Japan, Steve McCarty was teaching an intensive course on translation between Japanese and English. Two professors there, Kiyoshi Shiori and Mima Seiki, agreed to be interviewed about the history of languages in Japan. For 16 minutes, they discussed how the Japanese language formed from thousands of years ago to the classical period, 7th to 11th centuries, and foreign languages influencing Japan all the way to the present. Then, they discussed attitudes of Japanese people nowadays towards foreign languages, cultural factors, why they have such difficulty acquiring English, how Japanese is very different from other languages, and getting the meaning across in translation and interpretation. So here we are with Professor Steve McCarty talking to the two professors about Japanese and foreign languages. Today the topic is the Japanese and foreign languages. So I'm here in Western Japan with two professors of communication and culture, Professor Kiyoshi Shioiri and Professor Mimako Saeki. So we'll discuss the ancient history through the classical period to the present where Japanese are confronted with foreign languages like English. So beginning in ancient times, over 2,000 years ago, actually there was no Japan, but there were just different groups of people scattered across the islands who came from all different directions, from Siberia down to the South Pacific and Southeast Asia. And then people gradually came over more and more from the area of China and Korea. So all these people did not uh, kill each other and with one group dominating all the others, but they accommodated each other. So in a linguistics expression called speech accommodation, they gradually started to have one language just by accommodating each other, by compromising and gradually developing one language. And then Japan became rather uh, isolated, and so one language and one nation then gradually developed. So moving into the classical period, that uh, Japanese seemed to have been an amalgamation of uh, Chinese and, and Japanese as they adopted Chinese culture and the, and the writing system. So could you explain more about that, uh, Professor Shioedi? Yes. Uh, the Japanese language is something that developed uh, spontaneously and naturally uh, in Japan. However, there was no written language in Japan, and Chinese language is something that uh, we have borrowed in terms of kanji. Uh, so kanji is uh, something that has meaning in the written language itself. Uh, so we enriched quite a bit, but at the same time, it was in just, just kanji, it's, it was enriching, but it wasn't enough, so we created hiragana and katakana out of kanji. So and just a moment, the kanji is the Chinese characters that are used in Japan. That's right. And then the hiragana and katakana are two native alphabets in Japan. Mm, that's Actually, right. syllabaries, not alphabets, in Japanese and I think Chinese also, they don't have like individual Uh, vowels and consonants, but actually just co in combination there are syllables, mm -hmm. so they're called uh, syllabaries, the hiragana and katakana. 
So the main concepts will be written in kanji, but other peripheral particles will be written in hiragana. And we borrowed a lot of Chinese uh, characters, kanji, uh, during the Nara and Heian period. And uh, some scholars say that 60% the of the Japanese language come from China, uh, so Chinese, Chinese characters, kanji. However, the syntax itself is, is still basically the same. Same Japanese language is totally different from Chinese. And this was uh, from around the 7th to 11th century, so That's the right. Nara and Heian period. We, we borrowed heavily uh, from China during uh, the Tang Dynasty. Oh, yes. That was the golden age of China. And then uh, Japan became relatively isolated, and after that, and so developed a more of a its own uh, language. And then uh, we developed our own unique culture aside from the Chinese uh, uh, culture. For example, the Heian and Nara period uh, borrowed heavily uh, in terms of city planning and everything, but uh, we stopped it and we developed our own culture and used uh, Chinese kanji in our daily life. And again, the, the Edo, during the uh, Edo period also, we isolated ourselves uh, from other countries. Uh, and then again, during the Edo period, uh, something distinctly Japanese in terms of culture developed. So that was from about 1600 until the until 18th century, or 1857. And then what happened? And then Meiji period, the Western uh, countries started coming to Japan, and then uh, Meiji period came into being. When we started borrowing Western technology from the West, uh, particularly from in England, from British, from from the British uh, uh, nation, and also from Germany. And after World War II, we borrowed heavily from American culture. So what were the first foreign languages that uh, Japanese were confronted with in the Meiji period, uh, 19th century? The foreign language, we borrowed uh, from a lot of sources uh, in the beginning. Uh, there's a lot of uh, German, for example, in the medical field, and uh, there's a lot of English also and uh, there's some Portuguese, uh, some Portuguese came during the, oh yeah, during the early uh, Meiji period, that's right. And, but what was the Rangaku, the study of uh, Dutch language? The Rangaku came during the uh, Edo period, uh, because we closed the door to other nations, but only uh, Dutch ships were allowed in Nagasaki. Um. So we, we learned a little bit of Western technology through the, the Dutch uh, language, Gangkapu. Okay, well then, moving towards uh, modern times then, so we, we have Japanese people are confronted with uh, 
with foreign languages like English. So what is the what is the position of the Japanese learner then in relation to languages like English? Then can you explain, Professor Sayaku? English for learners. Oh, for learners. Um, as like this, as same as a uh, um, Chinese coming into Japan and English coming into Japan, Portuguese coming into Japan, those languages were esteemed as kind of high culture languages, right? Oh. When language come into another culture, um, people take it in because it is something to be esteemed. Um, um, and also it is attached to social higher social status. Um, so in Japan, in the case of English also, um, English was something that we um, felt and feel a door to be open, to, to let us open to other world, outer world. Um, and also something that uh, we really um, yearn for learning and uh, it has been, I think, idealized um, to learn it. And English has been taken in to the education, educational system, and it was introduced from uh, for the learning in high, uh, junior high and senior high levels. So it has become a mandatory language to be learned for Japanese pupils, Japanese children. So why do uh, Japanese people seem to have so much difficulty in in uh, learning a foreign language like English, so such that? Their uh, standardized scores on English proficiency tests are lower than those of most other nationalities. Well, in my view, um, Japan is uh, not really totally monolingual, but we are exposed to very few different phonetic systems. We don't hear much about the different sounds, like Chinese. Uh, sounds and raisins and Korean languages and so forth. So from childhood, the environment affects um, our attitude to our language. We are kind of uh, used to one set of language system and not really exposed to different variety of language systems. Oh, so a lot of thing. foreign languages are not heard in Japan, and yes. so we have only the very, although very difficult uh, kanji. Uh, a difficult written system, but actually mm -hmm. a very simple spoken uh, pronunciation, and so there, there's a much greater variety in English and other languages. So, like in a, in one Japanese uh, sound, there will be an L and an R in English, for example. And so, uh, especially listening to other languages, then it means it's a completely new experience for, for children. Yes, because learning a language uh, next 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 comes a learning language systematically. And then there are the syntactic um, uh, structural problems come in. But even before that, we have kind of psychological barrier to different um, sounds, um, which are not familiar to us. That's one. Yeah, so on the one hand, there's a great uh, syntactical difference between Japanese and English. So mm -hmm. even compared to Chinese, the sentence structure, like where a subject and verb, etc., are, is a much different between English and Japanese. So it makes it more difficult for, to learn for one way or the other way. Mm -hmm. And then there are also uh, the, the cultural factors. Uh, it seems that uh, Japanese uh, education of a foreign language and foreign cultures is like a driver who has one foot on the accelerator and the other foot on the brake. So there's a hesitance to, uh, uh, for individuals to uh, 
just they are afraid to sort of cross over and and to lose the you know loyalty of their own groups. So if they're perceived as as uh, changing away from being Japanese, and that's very threatening to the, the Japanese individual who who gets his sort of sustenance and his self-image even from the group membership. So there are cultural barriers like that. A language serves as, as, as identification. So among Japanese, we use Japanese, and that's the only language spoken. And actually, Japan is an island country surrounded by seas, and so there isn't much use for 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 English. Although uh, it is said that English is the the international language an important language to learn. So, for one thing, uh, we do not get a chance to use English. That's one reason. And another reason is that uh, English and Japanese are not historically related at all. And so, syntactically, it is so different. For example, the verb comes early on in English, but verbs comes at the very last in Japanese. And uh, a modifier and uh, noun position is uh, the opposite. So in many ways, uh, syntactically, English and Japanese are the opposite, They're very different. And that makes the Japanese difficult to learn, because uh, learning starts from the mother tongue. So we carry over the Japanese way uh, of speaking uh, language into the English. So it's, it's, it's tough. So, well, can we think about a uh, situation of uh, translation and interpretation between Japanese and English? Professor Sayaki? Between Japanese and English? Um, yes. Yes, as Professor Stewart said, that there is a big gap in terms of the structure of two languages, English and Japanese. Uh, English and Japanese. So, um, for Japanese learners uh, to interpret, to be able to interpret, or translate English to Japanese or vice versa, you have to switch the like a linguistic mode or a cultural mode in your brain. That switching has to take place. But in order to have that switching, uh, you have to have a pretty high level of command of both languages. Um, so, also, um, uh, you should be aware of uh, cultural meanings of um, sentences or even vocabulary, and the semantic world for each vocabulary is different uh, from culture to culture. So that's something that the, you need to learn when it comes to interpreting translation, which involves cultural aspects more beyond structural linguistic. Yeah, so when we found that there were similar proverbs in the different mm -hmm. cultures, and actually the sentences themselves could be completely different, have mm -hmm. nothing in common, you know, in grammatically or or syntactically, but the meaning was, it was it was very similar, although the cultural context may differ. So that uh, I think that not only the meaning but kind of the effect of the language then should should be similar when you're thinking of translation interpretation. So the meaning and the effect of the of the words. So they don't need to be literally similar at all. But if the meaning or the effect is the same, then I think that's what we're aiming at in translation and interpretation. 
meaning is is equivalent um, semantically and culturally. It's cultural. For example, in the translation of the Bible, um, in, I hear that the in some cultures the pun in Japanese bread was translated into like a very basic um, food um, in other countries. Necessarily bread or rice or anything, you know, staple food. Or whatever the staple whatever food, the staple was. food was. I yes. see. Mm-hmm. So as far as the um, meaning is carried in a correct way, in culturally correct way or appropriate way to the listeners, uh, it's a better choice for interpreters and translators rather than direct translation, which might um, lead to mislead, mislead to a different. Um, Images or different objects. Yeah, so I think that ultimately the person needs to be bilingual and bicultural, mm-hmm. you know, in order to do good translation and interpretation. Mm-hmm. And we don't have dictionaries or encyclopedias yet that can explain all the cultural background behind words, like say why Japanese people bow on the telephone. So that that all needs to be explained for people to really understand the meaning of of words. So, well, thank you very much for our little uh, discussion today. Uh.